whether we talk about evangelism or discipleship or spiritual formation, all of these things and every other part of our life as Christians and as human beings has to do with relationship. Relationship with God, with each other, and even with ourselves. And all of those relationships, if they are going to be uh, healthy and mature and life-giving, need work and attention and time and patience. And so I want to look today at the whole thing of our relationships and how we deal with them, because it's foundational to all of these things. And in the months that lie ahead, we will look at evangelism and discipleship and those things. But this is fundamental. So let me start off by saying this. All relationships have a power differential. All relationships have some form of power differential. They are all unequal. And there is levels of unequal or differential, power differential in all relationships. And so some are more exaggerated than others. So I grew up in a world that was toxic and obsessed with race and color. And you have so many other differentials in terms of gender. That's also been a big one. Um, ethnicity, education, language, age, sexuality, economics, uh, even physical differentials in relationships. There is always some form of power differential, unequalness in a relationship. And it's how you manage that. It's how you deal with it that it's life-giving rather than destructive and imprisoning. So let's start with a passage that is many times maligned. It's, it's, it's a verse that is used often and uh, maybe abused rather. It's this one in Ephesians 5, it's verse 22, where Paul says, and it's often quoted just like this, wives submit to your husbands. Now, there are um, pivots in this passage that are often missed and the one is the one that comes just before it, which is the pivot of um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it leads into this, but we'll come back to that in a second. And then it's this whole thing later on um, in the verse that says, as if to the Lord and all the other provisors that come with it. When there is a power differential that is abused, it, is often, it often tends towards violence. Now, not necessarily physical, although that is sometimes the case, but also uh, uh, verbal and emotional and even spiritual violence and um, coercion that takes place. Now, at the heart of what we're dealing with in terms of relationship is that every single person needs to be seen and to be treated with dignity. There is not one human being that is inferior to another. And then conversely, also, there is not one human being that is superior to another. God has created us all in his image. And if we are to understand when Paul is writing about authority and submission, we have to understand that there is a need for authority. There is 
the necessity for decisions to be made and some decisions require a certain level of authority and it's just a fact of life in the family and in general terms but it takes someone who is willing to um, how can I put this it's part of it is that we need people who will challenge us both positively and negatively and speak truth but true authority comes when someone is willing to lay down their lives for the good of another. That's essentially what uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians when he's dealing with the issue of, of authority in the husband, where he says from verse 28 onwards, that in the same way the husbands ought to love their wives. That's the way that Christ loved the church. And there's this complete self-giving, this laying down your life for another. That's the way that Jesus says is authority, that authority is to be exercised. And so that's the context of this whole passage. When we're talking about relationships, the context, the context of a relationship that works well is sacrificial love. And so we talk about submission and authority uh, is really to talk about submission and love. And those are equal demands, but they do not ever denote hierarchy or dominance or control. That's not what this passage is about. Paul states, and this is where he starts this passage, so when I say they abuse this passage, they people dip into this without looking at the whole sweep of the context of Paul talking to the Ephesian church and and, and, and laying out in the first chapters about the magnificent thing that Jesus has done for us and how it affects us and how we are brought into the fullness of God's glory. But in chapter 5, verse 15, he says this. Be very careful then how you live. So having said all that Jesus has done for us as, as, as his children, as his people, he says, Make sure that you are very, very careful about the way that you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand that the Lord, what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. To, the God, to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's only then at that point that he, he shifts and then he makes, um, he looks at three completely unequal relationships that are existent in the ancient world that he's addressing. In other words, he takes what he's just spoken about in the first four or five chapters, but especially in this little preamble. And then he applies it to wives and husbands, to then um, uh, children and fathers or parents, and to masters and slaves. So he looks at it in the context of marriage and relationship, in terms of children and relationship, and in terms of the work situation and relationship. But what he does is he applies what we've just read into that context with a particular understanding. So when he says in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, what he's saying is 
in, in direct translation, give way to one another. As he writes to the Colossian church in chapter 3, you can read it in Colossians, um, Eugene Peterson puts it this way, uh, be, having a willingness to come second, to, to put another before us. The goal of relationship, the goal of authority and submission in terms of this language is partnership, of being mutual um, participants in the process of what's going on, either in a marriage or in a child-adult relationship. But it's always this thing of partnership towards fullness, wholeness, maturity, as each submits to the other. It's not about dominance. It's not about control. It's not about exercising what power you have to exert my will or my wish or my way in a situation. That kind of thing generally creates slavery when we lord it over someone else. Now, let's listen just for a moment to this word submission. In essence, the word submission means to support. And it's translated as it comes through the Greek into the Latin, in a, into a word that is, to, it means to stand under, to send under, to understand. And to submit then, essentially, is to understand and to support, to uphold another. The authority that someone has is to be understood, to be supported. It's to encourage, to provide for the other. So real authority is the power to help, to create, to promote, to challenge, to speak truthfully to each other. And in a sense, who, who would you like to entrust yourself to? You would entrust, you would submit yourself to someone who is willing to lay down their life for you. Who, who in that sense had your best interest at heart. And that's the kind of vow you make when you make your vows in marriage. It's to, to be honest, to care for, to be faithful, to, to, to do and be the best you can for the other. Now, that's how we should understand relationships in the kingdom. And Paul does that when he writes to Timothy. Um, he has to encourage Timothy, who's a young man, and there's another unequal relationship in the ancient world. Young people were not seen as worth listening to, and Timothy has the difficult task of being sent by Paul. And then Paul has to say to him in 2 Timothy, um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he has to say to him, don't let people despise your youthfulness. You see, relationships are important, and if we don't um, understand this whole thing properly, then it's very easy for a relationship to go off the rails. The other thing, just as an aside to say, is this, that even within the context of a relationship, there are different kinds of leadership or authority and submission that take place. And we'll go into this in detail now, but there are, there are certain facets of life that Gail and I have come to understand about each other, where she is much better at doing certain things, and I'm better at others. And there are parts of our relationship where I lead and other parts where she leads and I submit. And that's the essence of the dance that takes place, where we, we learn to understand and to stand under and to sacrifice on each other's behalf. And that's what, what brings a relationship to a, a more full and complete and a more mature understanding. Let me give you an illustration. 
Here is a parable that Jesus tells, and I'm going to read it in a moment to you, but it's part of a sequence of events that take place in Luke's Gospel, where Jesus has been in Galilee, and he moves from Galilee to Jerusalem for the final week of his life. And there's this huge chunk of material from the end of chapter 9 in Luke to chapter 19, often known as the travel narrative, where he moves from Galilee to Jerusalem and travels through Samaria. Now, um, I'm going to read to you a parable that he tells halfway through, or a certain way through this whole um, process, which is sort of just dropped in the middle of Luke, just sort of inserts it in this place. And it seems to come from nowhere and go nowhere. And it it's, it's, it's almost a jolt. We'll look at it in more detail, but here it goes. This is what it says. This is the parable, the story that Jesus tells. He tells this parable. This is Luke 13, verse 6 onwards. He tells this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Chop it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. What makes sense of this in some ways is the, to, to, to sort of try and work out this parable, is the violence of the command, chop it down, is in essence that's the clue to the interpret of it. Because it follows a whole sequence of events. Twice before Jesus undertakes this journey, in chapter 9, verse 22 and in verse 44, Jesus tells his disciples that he is making his way to Jerusalem to be rejected and to be killed. Right in the front of this travel narrative, Jesus is making it clear that there is going to be some real violence towards the end of it. Just a little way into the process, um, there is a stop overnight in Samaria, and they are looking for a place to stay and... They want to be. They want to overnight in that area. And Jesus, well, the two brothers, um, um, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, Boanges, as it is in the in the original. The they can find nowhere. They want that that the, the Samaritans are not prepared to offer hospitality. And these two boys, these brothers, want to call down fire. They want to make sure that these people are all killed. I mean. Jesus says no, obviously, but that's just the kind of uh, febrile situation that they're in at that moment. And then just a bit further on in chapter 12, at some point Jesus says to them, Do you, not, do you think that I have come to give peace to the earth? No, I come rather to bring some kind of division. Following Jesus is not going to be smooth sailing. In all our relationships, we're going to encounter suspicion and hostility. It's difficult. There's always bumping up into and against things that uh, uh, 
exercise our relationship. The whole of our lives is about relationship. The landscape of our journey through life is one where we are traversing terrain that is going up and down in terms of relationship. It's never going to just be smooth. It's not even friendly a lot of the time. And I think there's not one of us who can say that all our relationships are happy and safe and secure and easy. The difference is this. When it erupts into violence, which it often does, and we're not talking physical violence here, but when it erupts into violence, we need to have been paying attention to this parable because the response of Jesus to violence or the response in this parable to the chop it down is very, very important. Jesus commands lots of things of us. Many, many things he, he says to us, like repent and believe, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, go and do likewise. When you pray, love the Lord your God and your neighbor. So many different things. But we don't often pay attention to the things that he tells us not to do. And, and, and it's this leave it alone. Don't touch it. Um, so leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. That's the thing that I want to focus on at this moment, because so often when something offends us or crosses our path or gets in our way, our will, our ego, our uh, desire, the things that we want to pursue, our power, our response is that we lose patience very quickly, and either verbally or physically, we want to get rid of that thing or that person. And we say, chop it down, cut them down, put them in their place, make sure that they move out of the way that we can power ahead and do what we want and have what we want and take what we want. The kind of violence that I'm talking about in relationship happens frequently. And the point is that we so often want to um, solve the problems of our relationships with amputation. Killing off the thing that crosses us is our preferred method of dealing with the stuff that happens in our world. To divorce ourselves, to, to, to chop it down and get rid of it and get it out the way. It's easy, it's quick, it's efficient, it clears the ground, we put it behind us, we start again, we hope for something better. All of us have been there, all of us have done it, and it's just, it's not healthy, it doesn't work. And then comes this thing of the, the tender of the vineyard, the one who looks after the vineyard, who says, hold on, not so fast, just wait a minute. Let's give this a little bit more time. Let's put some manure on it. Let's fertilize it. Now, manure is not a quick fix. You won't get results immediately. Chop it down, clear the ground, have a fresh start, that's done and dusted. Manure is something else. There's, there, it, it doesn't have the same sort of exhilaration and an immediate sense of um, fulfillment that chopping it down does. It's a slow solution. And let's remind ourselves, manure isn't actually often the nicest thing to deal with. It's the waste product of animals, essentially. But... Jesus has a fondness for the things that are small, invisible, quiet, 
and slow. Think of some of the images that have been fused into our understanding of how Jesus works and the relationships that we have. Yeast. Salt. Seeds. Light. And now in this parable, manure. Manure doesn't rank high on the things that you would think that the Son of God would be um, using to explain how we should use our, and deal with it in terms of our relationships. We generally want to get it out of sight and smell as quickly as possible. This apparently um, useless stuff is full of life. It has enzymes and microorganisms that can bring life to, to, to a fig tree, or apple tree, anything that didn't seem to be there before. And that's, in essence, the whole thing of resurrection. There are many things this we, that we must not do and cannot do if we are going to be faithful to Jesus. And one of them is the kind of violence that is so often found in our relationships. Coercion, control, domination. These are words that must be excised from our relational language. And very often when we take things into our own hands in the way that we relate to others, um, in the desire to get rid of the offender, um, we find ourselves in trouble. Now, there's much more that we could say, but um, um, Peter, um, in 2 Peter 3 verse uh, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And that's not just for people who are outside the kingdom, that's for you and I as well. We need to be constantly... Uh, understanding what it is to to be turning around and repenting in terms of our relationships. Now, mature, uh, mature, manure is uh, silent, it's uh, slow, and I think, in a sense, that's the kind of thing. There, there needs to be this quiet, slow listening. Let's be quiet. Let's just see where this takes us in terms of, if you like, the manure of resurrection in our relationships. Now, if this isn't making sense, let's fast forward slightly to chapter 23 in Luke. It's a few days later and Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And no more than a week later, and Jesus is hanging on a cross. And he's busy dying and the people who have done this think that they are killing him and they will move him out the way. They will get rid of this thing that is creating so much um, of a problem for them. And in that moment, Jesus responds with a word from the cross. In fact, his first words from the cross are words from this parable of the manure. Now, we don't notice that in our English translations immediately because of the way in which it's translated. But Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. Those are the first words out of his mouth. Now, our translations obscure this because the exact same word that is spoken in the parable 
in chapter 13 are the words that we find in chapter 23. First of all, there's a word there that we find, chop it down, is exactly the same word that we find in the mouths of the mob in verse 21 of chapter 23, where they are saying, crucify him, cut him down, get rid of him, kill it off, move it aside. And then Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, in verse 34, chapter 23 of Luke. And it's a verbatim repeat of what the gardener says to the owner of the vineyard. When the owner of the vineyard says, chop it down, he says the exact same thing that Jesus says from the cross, forgive them. And it's a simple uh, Greek word, which is in some contexts translated, hands off, leave it alone, cool it, which is the way it's translated in the parable in chapter 13, but it's also translated forgive. It just didn't make much good reading to say, oh, forgive, let it alone, forgive it, forgive the fig tree. But it's exactly the same thing that Jesus is saying to them from the cross, forgive, Father, forgive them. Now, you see what's happening here is that the desire for the farmer, for the crowd, is chop it down, crucify it, cut it off. What the, farmer, uh, what, what the farmer says to the owner is forgive it. Forgive the tree. Leave it alone. And let's allow some time for some manure to be dug in, for the context to be changed and shifted, and for there to be new life that comes into this tree. Jesus says from the cross exactly the same thing. Leave it alone. Father, let them forgive them. Forgive them. Now, the violence that was intended for the fig tree is set aside. Leave it alone. The violence visited on Jesus is basically, Father, forgive them. When it comes to our relationships, this is where we're going with this now. When it comes to our relationships, we need to honestly look at the power differential that there is between us in all of our relationships, in our marriages, with our children, in our work situations, in our families, wherever we are. There are these uneven, unequal relationships, and even in certain aspects of relationships, they're different. And we need to honestly and carefully go through our relationships and ask ourselves the question, are we, are we more likely to want to amputate, to cut things off? Are we, like the crowd, shouting crucify them when our will is not seen to? Or are we prepared to allow manure to be dug in, to say, forgive, Leave it alone. Let's have patience and gentleness. Let there be a sense of grace and sacrificial love in the situation so that our relationships can come to fruition and be full and complete and mature. It's worth going back to Ephesians again because that's where we started and this is how it works. And Paul writes, and this is, I'm going to sort of 
paraphrase um, and, and summarize. But, but from verse 15, he says, Be very careful then how you live, making the most of every opportunity or relationship. Understand what the Lord's will is, and be filled with the Spirit, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And as we do that, all the other relationships, wives and husbands, children and parents, work and staff, and all the other relationships will, will, will be nurtured out of that. So the question is, are we wanting amputation? Or will we say, let's put some manure on it? and see where it goes.